are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. This morning, I'm going to talk about two, three groups of two. Two people, two scriptures, and two pieces of paper in my wallet. There are two things that I used to carry in my wallet at all times. Besides the expected collection of credit cards and coins and cash, And the first is my clergy card, verifying that I'm officially an ordained minister of the PCUSA. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that card, but whenever I see it, I'm reminded of the larger church that I belong to, the call that God has placed on my life and the communities to whom I'm accountable. And the second is a slip of paper in my grandmother's handwriting, a note about the bonds she bought for me when I was born. She meant those bonds to help me pay for my undergraduate education, but I didn't cash them in until I started coursework for my PhD in religion, culture, and ecology. I can't tell you why I waited so long to cash them in. But using the funds to help me buy books for my first semester of coursework made me feel like she was with me when I was starting this scary journey. She died in 2008, and I miss her fiercely. I missed her when I started seminary and I went through the ordination process. My grandmother was the person in my life who first taught me about sociology as a kid and helped nurture my love for creation, and I always felt her pride in me when she and I eventually t- talked about me eventually becoming a pastor. I think she always dreamed that I would be a pastor in a church, not a free-range minister working for an international nonprofit which takes bold action on climate but she also taught me to be fierce and stubborn and to rise up when systems of oppression are harming people and planet. Taking her money with me into my PhD work felt like she was coming with me into this next phase of my life and the next phase of my ministry. For all of that, I would need a little bit of her ferocity with me She put a little bit of her treasure in me and my life, and in doing that, she was telling me that her heart would always be with me too. Because where we put our money is a symbol of where we put our hearts. Money and religion are two things that polite people don't talk about, especially with people they've never met, and this is a sermon about both those things. But it's also about how money and our faith can change things. When we have courage to understand that how we live out our faith and where we put our money can shape us. The scripture that I just read from Matthew is part of a larger selection of verses that is in the lectionary for Ash Wednesday. 
Every year at Ash Wednesday, the day when we repent and remember that our lives will all one day end and we will return to the earth. Ash Wednesday, the first day of Lent, those 40 days of repentance where we turn around and try again to face the direction God calls us to. This text is part of the Sermon on the Mount and comes just after the part when Jesus tells his listeners to be quiet. Quiet about their faith, to not trumpet their good deeds and holiness in the streets, and to pray in secret instead. And when you fast, Jesus says, do it without sadness and without publicity. Do it in secret in your hearts. Do not be arrogant in your faith, but humble. Make the change not to be showy or seem holy, but actually change your hearts. Do it not for glory, but for faith. So this brings me to my work. Charlie mentioned that I work for Green Faith, and we work with and alongside people of faith around the world to boldly respond to climate and environmental justice. And sometimes we do the very important internal spiritual work, and sometimes we do very public and risky actions that are designed to bring attention. Public and faithful actions in the streets. And so these verses in Matthew, embedded in a context of a private faith, seem a little strange to reference. But no one can serve two masters. Sometimes our faith requires us to root out the parts of us and our community that tempts us to serve something or someone other than God. The big, fancy theological word for that is idolatry. Choosing to serve something other than God, something that seems big and powerful, like a master of the world. And sometimes we do need to stop the masters that are taking over the world. Not in some black market conspiracy theory, but real life systems of oppression, economy, and suffering. One of the ways that we can see this happening in the world is how the fossil fuel industry has put so much money into the destruction of the planet. Funding campaigns that say that fossil fuels don't create climate change, doubling down on business plans that create more emissions. And in that context, despite whatever our good intentions might be, despite our desires, the fossil fuel industry and all their money has made all of us complicit in harming the planet. And maybe this is something that we ought to think about as we sit in worship every Sunday and make our confessions as people of faith. A few years ago, I was leading a retreat with a church in California about how ecology and earth care can be incorporated into all parts of our worship. We spent an hour on each section of worship, and when we got to the section on confession, we started a litany of all the ways that creation is hurting and how we're part of that. We throw away things that can be recycled, we leave the lights on in empty rooms, we drive too much, we eat too much meat, we get bananas from across the country, we emit too much carbon and raise the global temperature, and higher temperatures mean melting glaciers, and increased ocean rising means there's less less fresh water to drink, and people are displaced. And you, 
Each of you could come up with your own list, and I'm sure you've thought through some of that list before. In the retreat that I was leading, as we started working on the list of things to confess as our ecological sins, the group wanted to know if we could stop after just a little while. They so desperately wanted to move to the part of forgiveness and hope. In a lot of ways, they wanted to move from Ash Wednesday to Easter, and I get it, but I'm an eco-theologian and an activist, and so, as you might imagine, I said no. We needed to confess. We needed to stretch out that time of confession when we named the ways that we have broken our relationships with God and creation and other people. We needed to name together publicly the ways we fall short in caring for God's good creation. In one of the defining defining texts of the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, we read a second scripture that has been so important to so many who seek to be faithful. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is the text that guided our conversation in adult ed this morning as we wrestled with what if we loved God through loving creation with our whole selves. And if you weren't there, you missed a great pun I made. In the PCUSA, we have tried to love God's good creation with our heart through resources for lessening our carbon footprint. We have tried to love God's good creation with our soul through worship and community resources. We have tried to love God's good creation with our strength by leveraging our collective voices in public witness. We're already doing that as Presbyterians. But climate change means that we must continue to change how we treat creation and God with our soul, our strength, and our hearts. And because our hearts are where our treasure is, it matters where our money is. Where we put our money defines us, and it has great power for us and the whole world. That power is why it matters what we buy at the supermarkets. It matters what we buy. It matters what kinds of cars we buy. It matters what products we fill our lives with. And where we put our money shows where our hearts are. As a denomination, if we love God and God's creation with everything else but not our money, We are not yet loving God with our whole selves. And that's why 50 presbyteries for 10 years worked to get the denomination to divest from fossil fuels. These two texts, the Matthew text and the Deuteronomy text, have been two of the grounding texts for divestment from fossil fuels because it reminds us that we put our money where we have our faith. This is not just true about the people in Jesus' day or for my grandmother. When When we give money to an organization or when we buy a product or do anything with money, we show what companies and industries we believe in. And also, paradoxically, if we believe too much in that money, we begin to serve that money over God. And so it matters where we put our investments. How we make money is a symbol for who we are as people who follow Jesus, people who are called to love with our whole selves. If we make money from fossil fuels, it doesn't matter if we put the money into a food bank 
or hybrid cars or recycled paper. It's the money that comes from companies that burn fossil fuels and wreak havoc on the planet. There is no such thing as pure money. And so we have to do everything we can, boldly and faithfully, everything we can to serve God with what we have. We cannot be faithful Christians if we are not faithful to the planet and all people on it. We now live in a world that is already changing. We have passed so many tipping points in climate change that climate scientists have said will be irreversible in our lifetimes. The people who are already experiencing the effects of these changes are people who live in the global south and on islands populated mostly by people of color. And these are people who are least responsible for climate change. The people who have emitted the most carbon are people who live in the global north and the west and communities who have yet to experience many of the effects of climate change are usually often the same people who sit at tables of power. And so last year, Green Faith, the nonprofit where I work and serve and teach, hosted, along with 14 other organizations around the world, a global day of action by people of faith. We organized alongside people in over 40 countries in over 500 actions, and people of faith went to places of power in their countries to demand action on climate change. But there were few cameras and fewer Congress people but there was a lot of faith, a lot of singing, a lot of noise making as people around the world refused to be silent in the face of the groaning of creation and people. In the last few hours of preparation before the day of action began, my colleague Alua Tosin got several messages from an organizer in Uganda. These messages got more and more urgent and more frequent. The organizer was reaching out to make sure that we, at Green Faith knew that a group of Sudanese climate refugees were organizing an action in a refugee camp in Uganda. They were calling on the Ugandan government in particular to see climate change as a reality that displaces people and makes them refugees. And specifically, their campaign sought to bring global attention to how the Darfur crisis in Sudan caused, was caused by conflicts around natural resources and driven by unmitigated climate change, and which forced them to seek refugee in a neighboring country. The organizers wanted to be seen as people who could organize, not just as people who were brushed aside or were victims of climate change. They relied on their own strong agency, claiming their space as people to work alongside of. They wanted to be seen as people of faith who were living out their call to love the planet and each other. They knew, they knew where they lived was not their home, but they could still be who they were called to be. They lived into an important truth, and that truth is this. As dire as the situation is, the real crisis is not just what we do, but who we are. And they felt called to love God and all creation with all their hearts and with all their souls and with all their strength. 
They felt they could not be faithful Christians, could not be people who serve God if they were not demanding that the powers of the world had to change. Because so many of the people and institutions with power also have a lot of money and can make change. Because money is a symbol of where our hearts are, what we trust. Many in the climate justice movement have started moving money out of the fossil fuel industry and the banks and asset managers who support that industry. Money has to be a part of the congregation. It has uh, the conversation. It has to be. But the climate justice movement is more than just about money. Just as we carry more than just money in our wallets. The climate justice movement demands that we have a total ecological vocation. At Green Faith, we talk about reclaiming our ecological vocation in three ways. Three ways of building people power as people of faith in the world. Through individual choices, through institutional power, and through systemic power. Changing who we are in the world as individuals, thinking about how we as institutions like churches build gardens and get solar panels, and how we demand changes in culture or financing or policies that protect other people. These are real, tangible ways in which we live out our ecological vocation. So some of you don't know this yet, but my job at Green Faith is the Director of Education and Training. So you all get homework. And that homework is this. What is your ecological task as individuals and as a congregation? How will you engage your institutional choices, your individual power? How will you organize together? If you want to learn more about the ways we organize people of faith around these pathways to power, let's talk. And if you need some weeks to talk about, to think about it, Fletcher will be here in a couple weeks to talk more. Ecological vocation will look different for different people. And yet ecological justice is part of working for justice, all justice in the world. This is the week that we remember the great saint of working for racial justice, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He struggled for racial justice and he was killed for it. In the days before his death, a few years after the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964, King traveled to Memphis, Tennessee. He was there to join black sanitation workers in protesting polluted and hazardous work conditions. Environmental justice was a growing topic of concern for people of color as they suffered extensively from an overburden of toxic substances in their communities. King went to draw attention to the struggle of black workers calling for environmental justice. And it was during this visit to Memphis that King was assassinated in 1968. The strike by the workers continued after his death, 
with a march through Memphis that was attended by 42,000 people, including Coretta Scott King. The strike was ultimately successful, and it became one of the first fights against environmental racism. I said this was a sermon about two pieces of paper, two scriptures, and two people. Those two pieces of paper, my clergy card and a banknote from my grandmother, they helped define me for years. I carried them in my wallet because I carry my wallet everywhere with me. One piece of paper reminds me that I'm accountable to the church and to the scriptures and to God. And one piece of paper reminds me that I've been loved into this work by generations before me and I'm accountable to the generations to come. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Two people. One, my grandmother who shaped so much of who I am, whose trust I carried in my wallet for years. And this morning, like always, I carry in my heart the treasure of my child, Juniper. Who already knows what it's like to know and love creation and she will make you stop and look at bugs and doggies and trees and flowers and the lake. She will insist that we wave hello to our neighbors. And if we don't love creation and other people, she will throw a tantrum. And the tantrum she throws is a die-in, a movement tactic in which she just lies down on the ground and silently stares at me until I either lie down with her or I acquiesce to at least some of her demands. She is 18 months old. She's already as stubborn and fierce as the other women in our family and has already learned that if you ask for something enough times, you will be heard. And she's the best. She and all humans to come after us, no matter their race, their class, their gender, orientation, or country of origin, all people deserve a world where they can breathe and live and love. So I lied. The sermon isn't about two people. It's about all of us. All of us guided by two scriptures. The gospel that we cannot love both God and money and the text that says we must love God with all that we are. And in order to do that, we must love all creation and all people. We must be willing to live out the gospel of love because the whole world, the just one world we have, is at stake. Amen.